Good evening, and welcome to the Cabaret of Fever Dreams. Tonight, the first part of a tale about broken hearts and possessed couches. In 2012, I Met a Possessed Couch was originally released April of 2020 and is read by Sam Barlian with musical backing by Petr Merdian. This is the first chapter of a four-part novella, so subscribe to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams on your podcast platform of choice to make sure you don't miss any episodes. With that said, get comfy on that couch. But not too comfy. Things are about to get scary. I've been losing sleep. I don't think I'm particularly special in that regard. I, I think everyone's been losing sleep these days. Global pandemic tends to do that to people. Yet the thing that's been keeping me awake isn't the virus. I've been losing sleep over an old couch I once crossed paths with. It's been eight years. I, I want to believe that I've put the past behind me, but being locked in a house for a couple of weeks has made it impossible to not dwell on the past. The memory of the couch started off as a fleeting thought over my morning coffee, but as days have turned into weeks, that memory's grown into a distinct vision of madness. What I saw during those three drunken nights in December of 2012 has become an unavoidable part of reality. I can't rest until I process it. So, since we have a nice little internet campfire going here, I figured I'd tell you guys a story. Hopefully it'll let me put this whole part of my past to rest, and maybe it'll take your mind off of what's happening outside. So kick back and let me tell you a tale of love and loss, of broken teenage hearts, of surviving in a crumbling world. Let me tell you a story about the couch that tried to seduce me. I was 19. Hungover, heartbroken, I was also stuck in a foreign country. Well, to call Estonia a foreign country would be a bit of a long shot. I'd lived there for a good five years of my life. It was in Estonia that I lived out most of my teenage years. This was where I'd smoked my first cigarette, had my first drink, fell in love for the first time. I was dragged in when I was 13 by my parents. They had business in Tallinn, and, well, wherever they went, I went. At 18, when my parents' contracts ran out, I was forced back home. Their business in Estonia was done. Mine was not. By 19, I was back. As soon as I got off the plane, I turned my phone on, checked my messages. She didn't write to me. My soul, positioned somewhere slightly above my abdomen, twitched in discomfort. It was a familiar twitch. I had felt it in the bus to the airport. I had felt it in the security check. I would felt it when I boarded the flight to Tallinn, and as... As soon as I got off the plane, the twitch was back with a vengeance. The discomfort I was feeling in my chest was a realization. It was the realization that I had emptied out most of my already slim bank account on a one-way ticket halfway across the continent to see my old high school sweetheart who wasn't interested in seeing me. It was the realization that as much as I consciously knew the trip was a bad idea, I, I couldn't resist going. I dragged my feet towards the arrivals hall. When it became obvious that Saleh was dodging my messages, I panicked. There was no place for me to crash. I had no money for a flight. Hell, I had no money for food. Oh, as I boarded the plane to Estonia, I, I sent off a panicked text message to my old bandmate. Made horrible mistake, landing in Tallinn, three hours. Can I crash at yours? Within two minutes, there was a reply. Okay. 
We'll come with Maria. See you soon. Carl wasn't very chatty, but he was always there when needed. The two of them were waiting for me as soon as I walked out into the arrival hall. They barely changed. Carl was still a giant of a man, his long hair had gotten longer, and the beard he'd rocked since 17 had gotten thicker. The guy looked like Jesus on steroids, if Jesus was really into heavy metal and wore glasses. Next to Carl stood Maria. She wore a garish yellow coat. The pink streak in her hair she'd been so proud of back in middle school was pinker than ever. James, you're back! Maria yelled in her high-pitched faux English accent, before nearly tackling me to the ground. It's been too long, honey, too long. (laughs) She hadn't changed a bit since I left the country. Mario was still a pint-sized bolt of energy. The two of them made for an odd couple. Welcome back, friend, Carl said after Mario was done squeezing me. He wasn't one for physical contact. Carl settled on a simple pat on the shoulder that challenged my entire skeletal structure. The three of us made our way outside to catch a bus to the center. Even after living in Estonia for five years, I still wasn't used to the winters. As soon as we walked out into the sub-zero temperature, I felt decidedly like a foreigner. We caught up on the small things while we waited for the bus. Carl and Maria had officially moved in together. The band that Carl and me started up in high school had broken up. Maria was in a process of getting a bachelor's degree of psychology, and Carl was really into some cryptocurrency stuff that went completely over my head. I couldn't get much out of me. The cold was taking a real toll on my system. Whenever I opened my mouth to talk about my miserable little life, I simply ended up chattering my teeth. As soon as we got on the bus, I threw myself at the nearest heating vent. So, James, Maria said as soon as we got on the bus, you still talk to Sally? When I turned away from the heater to face her, she froze. I I mean, we don't have to talk about it. Forget I asked. Do I look that bad? While Maria searched for a diplomatic answer, Carl stepped in with a special brand of honesty. You look very tired and unhappy. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to see you guys, and I'm excited to be here, but yeah. I decided to get the conversation out of the way. We tried two months of long distance, but Skype only gets you so far. Broke up in late July. After we split, we agreed not to talk for a couple months, to give each other some time to clear the system and all that. Keeping radio silence was hard at first, but after a couple weeks, I started to get used to it. I was learning to live without her. Things were starting to straighten up. I even took a stab at dating, but when the holidays rolled around, the loneliness came back. On Christmas, I figured I'd throw her a holiday message. She wrote back. We started chatting on a daily basis again. The bus bounced through my old neighborhood. Memories of my drunken youth jumped at me from every corner. Most of those memories involved her, of course. Last night, we got pretty drunk, I continued. Things got flirty, we started talking about what we could do if we weren't half a continent away from each other. She mentioned her parents were out of town until the end of January on some sort of anniversary trip. I offered to fly in. She told me I should, and now I'm here. She changed her mind? Carl asked. She didn't think I was serious about flying over didn't exactly check with her before I bought the ticket, and she flipped out when I got it, told me to get a refund, and then hung up on me when I insisted on meeting up. She hasn't answered any of my messages since. Part of me felt good to get the story out of my system, but saying it out loud just added to the absurdity. I could have not bought the ticket. I could have gotten a refund. I could have not got it on the plane. Everything could have been avoided. 
the 19-year-old me leaped to the opportunity for a grand romantic gesture, like a hungry animal. Very strange, Carl finally said after considering my story. He shot a look over to Maria as if she was the ambassador to all womankind. Very strange, right? Maria shrugged. Maria's house was the crown jewel of my high school social life. It was a three-apartment unit that was built at some point before the World Wars. This place was old. As you would walk around the little apartment, it would creak. But it made for a perfect party place. Maria had inherited the apartment from a grandma at 16. The Estonians saw child-rearing as a fairly independent process. If she couldn't survive on her own at 16, she probably wouldn't make it at 30. A bit of responsibility would prepare her for the frigid world outside. Mara used her newly found independence to throw the biggest house parties that the neighborhood had ever seen. Maria's place was perfect for booze-filled gatherings. It was spacious enough to hold any drinking game we could dream up. There was a nice terrace for smoking, and the neighbors were either deaf, completely apathetic about teenage drinking, or both. As soon as the front door opened, I was assaulted by memories. Visions of drunken nights on the floor of the living room, of hungover mornings of the kitchen. The old apartment breathed with the past. For a split second, a wave of gratitude for a youth well spent washed over me. But then I remembered that each of those fond memories had an element I wanted to block out. Most of the fun I had had in the apartment had been with Saleh by my side. Maria and Carl still slept on an old mattress on the floor. The walls were still covered with cutouts of boy bands that Maria had stuck to the wall in her tweens. The only thing that changed about their bedroom was the addition of a massive computer rig on the table. There were strange ventilators and cooling tubes and blinking lights that the machine looked like something straight out of a sci-fi flick. That's my mining rig, Carl said proudly. I nodded as if I understand what he was talking about. Where are the rats? I asked, noticing the empty cage on Maria's wardrobe. Back in the day, Maria had two rats, Fritz and the Duchess. She'd keep them in the cage most of the time, but whenever the night reached a certain point of drunkenness, Maria would sneak over to her bedroom and come out with the two animals. If you saw Maria with two rats running up and down her body, you know the night was going to be a rager. The Duchess died last week, Maria said with a glint of sorrow. Fritz wasn't taking it well. I think the little guy was depressed being in the cage all alone, so I'm letting him roam around the house for the time being. Hopefully a bit of freedom will, will cheer him up. As if he'd heard his name, Fritz peeked out from behind the wardrobe. The albino rat raised his snout in the air, sniffed for a bit, and then lumbered off to the living room. The years had taken their toll on Fritz. He no longer moved for the youthful energy I was used to, but the one part of him that I remembered had not changed. Fritz still had balls that were disproportionately giant to his body. As he moved away from us, he dragged them behind him with a Sisyphean effort. So which hostel are you crashing at? Maria asked. A lump manifested in my throat. I looked around the cramped apartment. Outside of the mattress, there was nowhere for me to sleep. I didn't have any money for a hostel. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're crashing here. We owe you anyway. Maria said with a good cheer. For what? I asked, relieved that I wasn't homeless. Financing the booze and cigarettes back in the day. Might have ended up a nun if it weren't for you, she said with a grin. It was true. Throughout high school, I had been the main financier of our misadventures. My parents had foreign money, and that money went pretty far by Estonian standards. More importantly, though, when everyone was 16, I looked 12. 
According to the law of teen streets, the late bloomer provides the dough for those who can buy stuff without ID. You'll sleep on the couch. We, we just haven't had time to get it out of the garage. How about you and Kyle drag it in while I make some tea? Even though it was a bright winter day outside, the garage was in near darkness. The only thing that illuminated the cramped, musty room was a single ray of light shining in through a cracked skylight. The garage was covered in flimsy shelves that buckled beneath the weight of greasy machine parts. In the center of the garage lay a couch-shaped object covered with a large stained cloth. Carl grabbed a hold of the cloth and was about to pull it away, but a thought struck him. James, if I tell you something, will you not tell Maria? He asked, letting the cloth drop back down to the floor. He looked straight at me. His small eyes were probing me for trustworthiness. Well, depends on what it is, I said. Don't need help bearing a body, right? No. Carl's intensity broke into a smile. It, it is nothing illegal, just a secret. He strode towards one of the rickety shelves and plunged his hand deep into its depths. After a moment of rustling, he pulled out a small box. He opened it. Even though the garage was dark and even though the diamond was tiny, you could see a little glimmer. Carl's eyes shone twice as bright. Wow, man, I say, realizing how quickly the world was moving on. Congratulations. Maria and Carl would get married and I would be at their wedding alone. As I sit in that garage, the thought that I would always be alone gushed dread through my veins. We used to joke about how Saleh and me would get hitched before the two of them did. Those jokes felt cruel now. Maria and Carl would get married, and one day Saleh would get married too. She'd get married to someone who wasn't me. I'm really happy for you. I want to ask her father soon. He does not like me much, but I think I can show him that I can provide for his daughter. This Bitcoin thing... Be big soon, James. In a couple of years, me and Maria will be rich. Carl put the box back into its hiding place. Promise not to tell her, yes? Promise. I said with as much candor as I could muster. But my mind was elsewhere. My mind was floating disembodied in a bright church, watching over my would-be wife get married to someone else. James. Carl's paw on my shoulder brought me back into reality. You will be okay. I know you're worried about Saleh, but you still have us. We will drink this away. He smiled. I tried to smile back. Let's get this couch, shall we? He pulled away at the cloth that covered the couch, and enough dust flew off into the air to send us both into a coughing fit. The room danced with dirty particles, yet from behind the veil of powder I could see it. I could see the couch. The thing was ancient, a couch straight out of the early days of the Soviet Union. Its flowering upholstery was covered in stains that had just screamed history. It was as if the piece of furniture had been used for barricades in the defense of Stalingrad and lived to talk about it. Filth filled with rumpled cloth, stood on firm wooden legs that seemed to have survived multiple generations of being clawed at. It was as if the thing was simply biding its time until its true masters came back to retrieve it. The couch was old. But somehow in that dark garage, in that gust of earthly smoke, there was something alluring about it. It looked ratty, but comfortable, even inviting. For a split second, I was sure that the couch had winked at me with its cushioning. Then the dust settled, and it was just a piece of furniture. 
Carl grabbed one side of the couch, I grabbed the other, and we started to haul the thing towards the living room. We'd left the garage, but there was still tension in the air. I was still thinking about Sally getting married to someone who wasn't me, and it was still as if Carl and me were meant to have a serious discussion neither of us were comfortable with. I lost my virginity on this couch, I shared, hoping to relax the situation. Carl grinned, accepting the levity. Gross. We dragged the couch to the living room and then joined Maria in the kitchen. Back in the day, her kitchen table was the go-to place to gather, before drinking and after drinking. We'd sit around and shoot the shit and wait for someone to drop off the booze for the evening or the hungover pizza for the morning. Yet as we sat there trying to make small talk, one of the chairs was empty and it made all the difference. I couldn't focus on anything that was being said all around me. All I could think about was how Saleh used to sit next to me. All I could think about were her long legs on my lap, her long fiery hair, her laughter. How about we sweeten the evening with a bit of moonshine? Maria asked, as she fished a clear bottle out of the kitchen counter. Carl and me are going to lunch with my parents tomorrow, though, so no hangovers. Carl cheered on the promise of alcohol, but not even a drink could lift my spirits. My eyes shifted from Saleh's empty seat, to the couch. All I wanted to do was lie down and fall asleep for a thousand years. Guys, I appreciate the hospitality, but I'm really tired. How about we drink tomorrow? I said. Carl and Maria looked concerned. This was the first time they'd ever seen me refuse booze. Are you sure you're okay, honey? We can talk if you want to, Maria suggested. I insisted I was fine. I just needed to get some rest. That didn't convince her, but she yielded. Well, we'll be in my room, if you need us. Her and Carl shuffled off to the bedroom, and I laid down on the couch. From the other room, I could hear them talk. Maria talked in concerned whispers, Well, Carl spoke at full volume. It didn't make much of a difference. Even after five years of being in the country, I still couldn't understand Estonian. I could hear my name being mentioned, though, and they were concerned about the emotional wreck that was crashing on their couch. I dragged my friends into my mess. It was all so humiliating. I was far from home, broke and broken. I wanted to die. Easy there, tiger. Don't think like that. A faint voice emerged from the back of my head. Things might not seem great now, but look on the bright side. At least you're on a comfortable couch. The voice was right. The couch was indeed comfortable. All you need is a bit of distraction to forget about your broken heart. Some booze, some dough, maybe a bit of love and you'll be good as new. It was as if the suave voice turned a switch in my mind. Suddenly the tightness in my chest eased, a burst of joy started to bubble in my abdomen. My fingers started to trace the sides of the upholstery. The voice giggled. That's the spirit, Tiger. Just relax. You're fine as long as you're here with me. The universe felt lighter. My feelings of dread faded away and were replaced with an electric anticipation. <sighs> I needed a drink to celebrate. I opened the door to Maria's bedroom. She was lounging on the mattress reading a psych textbook. Carl was watching bar graphs on the computer. Hey, guys, I peeked in. I feel a bit better now. How about those drinks? They both grinned. We drank. 
In the moment, I didn't give much thought to the voice in my head. My internal monologue was turned up a notch since the breakup anyway. I was used to hearing thoughts that I consciously didn't want to consider, and the silky voice that was telling me things would be okay was a welcome distraction. I sunk into the couch, and I let the night carry me away. Sea tiger. Isn't it nice to be here? Isn't life just swell on this little old couch? <laughs> I would say. I nodded along. We drank more. All thoughts of avoiding hangovers were let go. The liquor poured freely. At some point, Maria emerged from a room with Fritz on her shoulder. We celebrated the tradition of our youth, but the rat was sluggish. Far too old to crawl around on her body, and after a couple of minutes, Maria gave up on playing with the rat. She put him on the ground, and Fritz simply walked around the room, dragging his testicles behind him like a ball and chain. We drank more. Carl lumbered up to his feet and went to fetch his guitar. Maria was out having a cigarette. I was far too comfortable on the couch. Having a moment to myself, I watched the rat. Fritz had spent the last couple of minutes roaming the living room and sniffing at my backpack, yet suddenly something caught his attention. He sniffed at the air, his whiskers bouncing in curiosity, then he looked towards the couch. The old rat sprung to his hind legs and turned towards me. It was as if his beady eyes were locked to the piece of furniture. Oh, tiger, don't think about the stupid rat. Look, here comes Carl. Let's stop thinking about stupid things and listen to him play. Oh, and how he could play. To say that Carl lacked warmth would be an understatement. Communicating with the guy often felt like having a conversation with a pile of awkwardly stacked encyclopedias, but as soon as he would bring out the guitar, he would ooze personality. Somehow, with those hulking fingers of his, Carl had managed to make the strings sing the gentlest of tones. Maria and me sang along out of key as the night went on. Just like the good old days, Tiger. You're here, and you're happy. Focus on the positives. Focus on the present. The voice told me. I followed the advice. Until I couldn't. It was as if the spell had been broken. As soon as I heard those opening chords, as soon as I realized what Carl was playing, my stomach sank. It was that Rolling Stone song. Sally and me had danced to it once upon a time. Memories of our first night together came rushing into my mind. The Sally-shaped hole in my heart throbbed with pain. I got up to splash some water on my face. Carl shifted his performance into a serenade for Maria. The tiles in the bathroom were freezing, but I was willing to withstand the pain if it meant I could get further away from the song. I stood there willing to wait it out, but the memories just kept on floating back. I was standing in the same bathroom I stood in the night that I met Sally. I could see traces of a 16-year-old in my face. The music kept on building. Sally's lily perfume filled my nostrils. I could remember the fullness of her lips before our first kiss. The images were cascading on top of each other, ripping away at my sanity, ready to plunge me into a panic attack. But then, they stopped. The music stopped. I peeked out the door. Carl had chucked his guitar over to the side, his serenade had given way to a heavy makeout session. Him and Mario were all over each other. Guys, I'm going out for a cigarette, I announced. The two of them looked up at me, dazed and drunk. Take the keys, honey, I, I think we're going to bed. 
I hoped that the dial tone would block out Maria's moans, but it didn't. Not only did I have to listen to a loving couple have sex, I also had to listen to the world's quietest dial tone as I was reminded that Saleh did not want to talk to me. I stood out there in the freezing cold, smoking one cigarette after another. It was just me, the starless sky, and Maria's moans. Car lasted for a quarter of a pack before their bedroom quieted down, and I I tried calling Sally one more time, and then I went back inside. By the time I stumbled to the couch, I could already hear snoring coming from the bedroom, but there was another sound in the apartment. Something much quieter, something I almost didn't notice. Scratching. Luckily, I managed to prop myself up against the couch before I sat on him. As I tried to regain my balance, I realized just how drunk I was. Fritz was on the couch, furiously scratching into its upholstery. He looked up at the drunken figure hovering over him for a split second and then went back to work. Those little claws scratched with the ferocity of a pup. It was as if Fritz was two years younger. I picked him up by his scruff and tried taking him off the couch and... When I lifted him off the ground, the rat seemed confused for just a split second before Fritz screamed the world's tiniest scream and then bit me in the finger. He dropped to the ground and ran beneath the nearby wardrobe. He hid beneath it and watched me. I was too drunk and tired to care. I laid down on the couch and exhaled. Welcome back, Tiger. You look tired. Let me keep you company. Yes, life is hard, but if you really appreciate the moment, it can be pretty enjoyable. Lie down here. Let me keep you, hold you. Let's get to know each other better. I... I could smell floral perfume. I closed my eyes and drifted off to a deep sleep. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kuss, and Bob Kondurk. If you'd like to join these fine people and support the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. And so concludes another episode of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Make sure to drop by on Tuesday for the second part of this couch novella.